saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me to me thy great salvation so rich and free for God so loved the world he gave his only son to die on Calvary's tree from sin to set me free Someday he's coming back, what glory that will be, wonderful his love to me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no last days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me Shine so rich and free, so rich and free. Show offs. <laughs> I do a course, and they got to come up here and better it. That's something. I'm going to preach on pride today. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, would you please? <laughs> That's a good song. I liked it. No, I did. I enjoyed it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. We're in our series. We began it last week, of course. It's your turn to be thankful. That's the name of the series. And last week, of course, we address some issues, and we talked about the idea, we thought about this thought, we said it was our turn to be thankful because of, of, of what God has done, past tense, what He has done. And we noted that uh, we need to be thankful because of His compassion, because of His cross, because of the comforter that He sent. Well, today, we're going to continue in that series, and we're going to look at another aspect, but notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, in everything, 
Give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He goes on in Ephesians 5.20 to say, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, giving thanks in everything. That's, that's a tough pill to swallow, you know. I mean, there are circumstances and situations that we face in life that are anything but pleasant. And God here in this particular passage, the Apostle Paul is stating, in everything, give thanks. And then he goes on, even like a dagger sometimes in our heart, for this is the will of God. And someone says, what do you mean? I'm saying that basically what we see in the scriptures is this. If we are unthankful for what's transpiring and taking place in a sense in our lives, then in a, in, in a, a very real way, we could be flirting with being out of the will of God here. If you're not thankful, if I'm not thankful, according to the Bible, then I'm not in the will of God because in everything I'm to give thanks. This is the will of God. So if that is the will, then the opposite is out of the will. And that's, a, that's an amazing thought, really. It's really kind of overwhelming to some degree when we think about the idea that if we're not able to give thanks for what's transpiring and taking place in my life, then I could very easily be out of the will of God by definition of the Scriptures. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big pill to swallow. You know, we all want to believe that we're right with God, you know. We all want to believe that we're spiritual. We want to believe that we're making the right decisions and going the right path and doing the right things. But the reality is, if we can't give thanks for what's taking place in our lives, then according to Scripture, we are not everything we think ourselves to be. Yeah, that's, I don't know about you, but for me, I, I mean, I wake up in the morning and I feel pain and I'm not thankful. At least for the pain, right? There are things that go on in our lives. We sit back and we think to ourselves, wow, that, I certainly ain't grateful for that. But I think what God's trying to help us understand is that if we will slow down a little bit, take a step back, and we kind of look at everything as a whole, and we recognize and understand that what he's doing in our life and, through, and, and, and in our life is a result of what he's trying to do through our life, he's trying to do something bigger than we can see. It extends far beyond our own limited viewpoint. And we, we have to realize that every little thing that transpires in our life that takes place is there to build on something else and ultimately lead us to where God wants us, to mold us, to make us, and ultimately enable us to be used in the hand of a mighty creator God. Now again, we'll look at a little bit more of that as we move along, but this thankful, this study on thanks, being thankful, I mean, boy, I'll tell you, we live in a culture and a society that, well, I don't need to go into it. I mean, it's pretty obvious at epidemic proportions, we are unthankful. We are filled with ingratitude, it seems. And I'll tell you what, that's not something the believer ought to be a privy to or a part of. We need to be a grateful people, a thankful people. And so, as we said last week, we started by saying we need to be thankful for what God has done. And this morning, I want to continue by addressing this thought. Be thankful for what God is doing. Be thankful for what God is doing. Well, we're going to take just a few moments and look at that thought this morning. But before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this opportunity that we have to gather in this place. And Lord, there is no doubt that we are going to face obstacles in our life, tribulation, trials, difficulties, Lord, that on the surface would seem to be something that we cannot possibly be grateful for. And yet, 
Lord, if we can trust you, if we can truly look to you and know that, Father, you have our best interest at heart and there will be nothing you permit in our lives that will not be for our own good and the good of others around us, that will not bring glory and honor to you. Father, that'll go a long ways to helping us to be grateful for everything you send our way. Lord, there's no doubt that life is not easy at times, but I can't even imagine living life without you. We're so grateful that you did save our souls. We're so thankful that you do indwell us in the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful, Father, for just the wonderful blessings you've bestowed upon us. But today, we want to be thankful for what you are doing presently. Help us, Lord, to recognize just a few of those things today. We'll thank you and praise you. And Lord, if there be any that are without your Son, Jesus, as Savior and Lord, that they would settle that before they leave today. Lord, not that they would just have a profession of church attendance or that they would have been in, uh, uh, made a, even a simple little prayer at some point and uh, it didn't mean anything to them. They just were going through the motions. Lord, whatever. We want it to be real in their life. We want you to be real. Speak to us. Fill us and use us now, Lord. Give us your grace, your mercy. And Lord, we'll give you the glory and the honor. You're so worthy of it. I have nothing at all to give this thy people except you give it to me. Father, please help me. I need your filling. I need your Holy Ghost. I'll thank you and praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen. So we want to be thankful for what God's doing then. And what is he doing? Well, first of all, let me say this. We need to be thankful that he's still working in our lives. He's still working in your life. We know that we come to Christ uh, through uh, come to Christ uh, by by humbling ourselves before Him at the cross of Calvary, recognizing His perfect, precious blood was shed on our behalf. We understand that without Him, we can do nothing in that regard. Uh, he, I mean, salvation cannot possibly be earned in our own strength. Uh, it just is impossible. We can't gain God's favor in our own goodness. We have nothing good to offer a holy, righteous God. He's so much higher than us. He's so far beyond us. And so we come to the cross and we see that Lord Jesus that suffered, bled, and died for us. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And we come to him and we simply say, Lord, I deserve to go to hell. I deserve nothing good in this life. And I beg you and I, I ask you to forgive me, save me, and come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And boy, I tell you what, he hears our cry. He answers our prayer. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm grateful for the salvation that Christ has given to me. I'm glad for the indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost in my life. And I'm thankful for the Bible that I hold in my hand, no doubt about it. But let me tell you what, I'm thankful for what God is presently doing. I'm thankful that he's still working in my life. And you can be thankful he's still working in your life. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, turn there would you please. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Notice this passage. What a powerful passage it is. And if you've been in church any length of time, you more than likely have heard it at some point. But notice what the Bible's telling us here and what we learn here in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi. And he makes this statement. He says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, what we see here, obviously, is that there is an apostle and others that are traveling with him being confident of this very thing. They have a confidence 
uh, to this end. They recognize this to be a truth. And he hath which begun a good work in you. And we know that that work began at the cross. We know it began in our own lives as we knelt there and humbled ourselves before a holy God. And we acknowledged his righteousness and our sinfulness. And we received and accepted him as Lord and Savior. It began that day. We're new creatures in Christ, according to the word of God. It all began in that sense. It's totally different. Oh, I was birthed. Uh, to my mother and my father, I had a physical birth, but it wasn't until I received Christ that I had that spiritual birth, that, that regenerating process that took place immediately the moment I accepted and received him. I'm now a new creature in Christ, and so are you. He began a work in your life that day. You are not who you used to be. You're not that sinner that was bound by sin. Now you are a new creature in Christ, able to overcome sin in the power of the Holy Ghost and in the Word of God. You're a new creature, but hold on. We're glad today that it doesn't end there. He's not finished with you, and he's not finished with me. He's only begun the work, and he will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ, until the day that Christ literally returns in the clouds to receive his people up into his presence. He will continue to work in my life until the day I close my eyes in death. He'll continue to work in my life and move in my life, and he'll do the same in yours too. So we're grateful for the fact that he saved us and sanctified us, but we are so thankful that his work doesn't end there. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, the Bible says, and this is interesting. Now, I, I want you to turn there. Turn to Isaiah 64, 8. I want you to see this passage, and we'll make a statement about it here in just a moment, and I just want to make an application, but Isaiah 64, 8. <clears throat> I want to kind of summarize what God's doing in our lives, and I'm going to use Isaiah 64, 8. There in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, the Bible says, But now, but now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou art potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. Now, there is little doubt that doctrinally this passage is dealing with Israel. I don't need to argue that with you. You don't need to argue it with me. We are all understanding that concept. However, they are God's people. And also, there is a lesson or an application for you and I this morning in this passage. But also in Romans chapter 9, we see God is referred to as the potter there. And in the same chapter, we are likened unto clay. So I think there's a little bit more crossover here than maybe we would like to admit. The fact is today, the truth is that we are simply clay in the potter's hand. He's working in our lives and he is working to mold and to make us the men and women of God that he would have us to be. Sadly, at times, we're not so pliable as we ought to be. We may resist or harden ourselves to his touch. We can only imagine as we, we think about that, that potter's wheel and we, we see that lump of clay on the potter's wheel and there's another wheel at the bottom there below. And as he moves that, that, that his foot down, up and down, that one spins and then it spins the one on the top. And so here's this piece of clay spinning and he reaches his thumbs in and he dips them down inside and he begins to form something that is recognizable. A simple lump of clay turns into a beautiful form in his hands. But every once in a while, the form is marred. And he has to come, close it all down and start again. 
Listen, I don't know about you, but that, that clay will be molded and, and shaped by the hand of the potter. And that process in our lives can sometimes be rather painful and uncomfortable. But we have no doubt that he is molding us and making us. You say, what do I need to do? It doesn't matter what you and I are going through. We need to understand that we are simply clay in the potter's hand. That he's trying to accomplish something in our life. He's trying to mold us and make us into the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to look more like Jesus every day. He wants our life to be filled with holiness and purity and godliness. He wants us to operate and function as he would if he was on the earth. And you say, but I'm just flesh. And that's why the potter has to do his work in our life long after we've been saved even. You need to remain on the wheel. It's easy to get off the wheel sometimes and say, you know what, I don't really like or enjoy this Christian life the way it's going. I'm not real pleased with the outcome. I've been praying and I've been reading my Bible. I've even studied it. I've gone to church my whole life and I don't see the benefit of it. And as we heard in our uh, our, our, our family conference. At times we can build all the walls around our families, but then we find our families, our family members looking up over the wall, out into the world, trying to find the joy that should be in the home because it's only on the outside. And can I tell you, as a Christian, you can have joy in your life, in Christ. Too many times as Christians, we want to get off the wheel because we're tired of it. We are looking for joy outside of him. You need to be tender to his touch and so do I. We need to be pliable in the hand of God. What's he trying to accomplish in our life? What's he trying to do? How's he shaping us and molding us? We need to be confident also that whatever God is permitting in our life, he has a purpose for it. And that purpose is to shape us into a Christ-honoring vessel. If I polled you as a people and it was a secret poll and I said, are you everything you believe God would have you to be as a, as a child of God? Are you everything he intends you to be? On a scale of one to a hundred, place that number somewhere. In a, from one to a hundred, where do you stand on being everything God intends you to be as a believer? What number would you have chosen in your mind? Don't say it out loud. See, if I had everybody say it out loud, everybody would kind of inflate the number. Because we don't want to look bad in front of our peers. But where do you really see yourself? A scale of one to a hundred, where do you fall on being everything God would have you to be at this point in your life? Well, I think it's obvious that we all need a little molding, a little shaping. And can I tell you, it's not always the simple things or the easy things that shape us. It's most often the difficult things in our lives that really build our Christian character. God is still working in your life. It's your turn to be thankful. Number two, he is, he is still concerned about you. I mean, what's God doing today? We say, well, I know what he did in the past and, and we're grateful for what he did, but what is God doing? I'm thankful for what he's doing. He's still working in my life, but he's also still concerned about me. And he's still concerned about you. Have you ever felt alone or forsaken in this life? 
In Psalm chapter 22, we hear the psalmist expressing just that. Look at Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. In Psalm chapter 22, again, listen to what the psalmist says. This may sound very familiar to you, and for good reason. Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. It says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Isn't that something? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, I'm crying out to you. I'm begging you. I don't hear from you, and you don't seem to care about me. Well, the passage sounds familiar because it echoes the words of Christ on Calvary, doesn't it? When his heavenly Father said, you're bearing the sin of the world in your body. And I can have nothing to do with you at that moment. Why hast thou forsaken me? Life can cast us down and we can find ourselves discouraged and feeling all alone, can't we? You may feel betrayed by a friend or maybe forsaken by a parent or experiencing the feeling of rejection at school, work, or even church. You may be facing the loss of a loved one or nursing a broken heart or dealing with a difficult diagnosis or find yourself in the midst of an emotional crisis. But no matter how alone, no matter how isolated you may feel, God is there and He still cares for you. In 1 Peter 5, 7, He says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. So I don't feel like it though. Yeah, I know, it's terrible, isn't it? At some point, you've got to stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. At some point, you've got to say, you know what, I've got to take hold of the Word of God. I've got to believe the Word of God. I'm going to have to apply it in my life, and I'm just going to have to trust that God is there. If He says that I'm to cast my care upon Him, and He says He cares for me, then He must care. Now, I want to get close enough so I can feel it. But I believe it. And I want to feel it now. You know, God's always cared for his people. In Isaiah 41, turn there, would you? Isaiah 41, verse 10. He's always cared for his people. I'm glad that now that I'm a child of God, God goes, well, you're, you're good to go. No, he says, no, I'm still concerned about you, Mark. What matters to you matters to me. What hurts you hurts me. The needs that you possess, well, that, that's something that's on my heart too. What he says in Isaiah 41, verse 10. He says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. We went on to Roman, oh, excuse me, Psalms chapter 46, 1. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Hey, listen, whether you and I are aware of it, whether you and I appreciate it or not, it makes no difference. God is concerned about you. That's something that he is presently doing in your life, concerned about you. 
You know, uh, I have four children, and I know my parents had four children, and I can tell you this from watching their lives and also in my own life, I can promise you this. Long after the children have exited the home, you are still concerned about them as a parent. It never ends. But you raised them, you equipped them, you gave them all the tools to succeed. That doesn't matter. You still as a parent are concerned. You know, the Heavenly Father... He gave us all the tools and He equipped us to succeed in this Christian life. But let me tell you, He's still concerned. Jeremiah 29, 11, He goes on to say, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I just tell you, God cares about you. He's concerned about you. No matter how dark the day may seem, God is still concerned George Mueller, he lived back in the 1800s. He basically, he lived 93 years. I think it was 93 years. So he basically lived the entire century, the 1800s. He built a number of orphanages in a place called Ashley Down, England. The number of the orphans or the children without parents that he cared for is said to have been, or children that were abandoned, mind you, were said to have been 10,000 over his lifetime. Imagine that. Cared for over 10,000 in his lifetime. He had no personal salary. He relied solely upon God to supply the money, the food needed to support the hundreds of homeless children that he had taken in to his orphanages. The story is told about a morning in which the house mother came to George Mueller and said, the children are dressed and ready for school but there's no food for them to eat. George Mueller asked her to take the 300 children at the time that were in the dining, uh, to, to, into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. Have them sit down. He thanked God for the food and he just simply waited. He knew God would provide food for the children. He always did. And so he had a tremendous faith. And so there they waited. Within minutes, the baker knocked at the door. George Mueller answered and the baker said, well, last night I couldn't sleep. I mean, somehow I, I just knew you were going to need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I, I'll bring it in. It wasn't long after that another knock came at the door, and it was the milkman. The cart had broken down in front of the orphanage, and he said, well, Mr. Mueller, the, the, the milk's going to spoil by the time the wheel gets repaired and fixed. Uh, I got some free milk. Would you like it? George kind of smiled, and the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. And it was just enough to take care of 300 thirsty children. George Mueller was a man of great faith. And he kept a motto on his desk for a number of years that brought comfort and strength and even inspired confidence in his heart. It read this. It said, quote, it matters to him about you. Unquote. He kept that on his desk for a number of years. It matters to him about you. See, Mueller believed those words, and it, he, he believed that it truly capsulized or captured the heart of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And he claimed that promise. He claimed the divine help that God said he would give. He testified in the end of his life that the Lord had never failed to supply his needs. 
Be not troubled with thoughts of the morrow, of duties you surely must do. On the Lord cast your burden of sorrow, it matters to him about you. Be not weary when trials are given, but trust him to carry you through. He will make a pathway to heaven, it matters to him about you. Then be patient until his appearing, tis dawn almost now on your view. For the midst of this dark age are clearing, in love he's planning for you. He's still concerned about you. It's your turn to be thankful. And finally to the, this morning, let me just say this. When we think about what he is doing, I can't help but just simply think this. He's still listening. He's still listening. Not only is God concerned about us, but he longs to spend time with us. He communicates to us through his word and through that still small voice while we communicate with him through prayer. To fully appreciate that truth, I think it's important that we understand how access to God was made possible. You've got to understand the cost here. you got to realize how it really went down. We know it was Christ, but hold on. In the Old Testament, we have this wonderful picture. We read about a tabernacle, and we know that the tabernacle was comprised of three major areas. There was the outer court, there was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. So there was this outer court, then there was this small, say, kind of building, if you would, in the tabernacle. It wasn't made of anything strong. It was just tapestry. It was just uh, leather, if you will. And so here it is in the middle of that court, and there was a veil that separated the outer court from the holy place. You went into the holy place, and there was another veil. And that veil separated the holy place from the most holy. Hmm. We know that whether it was the tabernacle or whether it was Solomon's temple, this was the case. And only the priest could access the areas beyond the veils. And then only under specific conditions. And those conditions were detailed. They were described in the law of God. So various priests would pass through the veil from the outer court to the holy place. There they would minister daily. But only the high priest, once a year, could go into the holy place and ultimately into the most holy place. Again, through a veil. There on that solemn day, that high priest would enter. He would apply the blood to the mercy seat in an attempt to make atonement on behalf of Israel before God. Only one time a year. See, the veil wasn't as much an access point, but a checkpoint. It wasn't so much that everyone could say, oh, there's the veil. I can go into the holy place. Oh, no, only certain people were permitted to go into the holy place. The outer court, there they were. But no, to go into that holy place, you had to be a priest. And so really the veil kept people out. And then as they went into the holy place, there was another veil to the holy of holies. Oh, there it is, the entrance to the holy of holies. I think I'll take a stroll in. There on the mercy seat resided God. Uh, no, 
that veil restricted or kept people out. It didn't invite them in. By the time Jesus arrives at Jerusalem, many experts believe that the veil was possibly as high as 60 feet. Four inches thick. As a matter of fact, the Jewish historian Josephus said that the veil was four inches thick and that horses tied to each side could not pull the veil apart. And yet, at the very precise moment that Jesus died, we read that the temple veil was rent in twain. In Matthew 27, 50, the Bible says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. In a sense, the veil was symbolic of Christ himself. In Hebrews 10, 19, the Bible says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. <laughs> so we can easily say that the veil was symbolic of Christ himself. And therefore, if a person hoped to gain access to the Father, he had to go through the Son. He had to go through the veil, if you will. And in John 14, 6, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, not only was the veil symbolic of Christ, but it also represented access to God. And now that veil that stood between God and man in the tabernacle and between the temple was now torn asunder, indicating that the way to God was no longer blocked, but instead opened up. And now giving full access to him always. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, would you please? Verse 13 through 14. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Because of Christ's finished work on the cross, anyone who chooses to can enter into God's presence and enjoy that restored fellowship. Amen. That veil stood there restricting access to God. But the moment Jesus Christ laid down his life, the moment his body was broken and he took his final breath, the veil was rent in twain, opening up access to God. And today, may I say, oh, you, you have access to God. And he is listening. He's listening. What an amazing truth. In Hebrews 4, 16, the Bible says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace. How can we come boldly to the throne of grace? 
because of the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, because the veil was rent in twain. And now we have access to God and we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You talk about a reason to be thankful this morning. To have access to the Creator. To be able to go to the Father morning, noon, and night. Don't get any better than that. I, uh, I appreciate the fact that after all these years of living, my parents are still alive and so are my wife's parents. And we are so grateful to God for uh, extending their lives and allowing us to participate in their lives and to be a part of it all. And to also have access to their wisdom. Man, I tell you, I like the idea of being able to go and just sit down and talk to my dad or talk to Don or to talk to one of my family members there, one, either one of them, my mom or, or even Diane, and say, listen, here's what's going on. And I listen to what they say and I heed that, I hear it, and I say, wow, all those years of experience, what a blessing it is. I don't have to always deal with it myself. I can go to someone else. They're listening. But let me tell you, there's nothing like God listening. And the truth is, we won't always have those others to go to, but we always have Him. We don't only have access to God, we have His ear. Boy, He wants to hear from us. He's so happy to answer our prayers. Today, maybe you've never even trusted Christ. You've, you've heard about him. I, I, maybe you haven't. But 2,000 years ago, God looked over the portals of heaven. He saw mankind that was floundering about, meandering about with no hope. Bound by their sin. Wrecked and ruined by Satan. Destined for a devil's hell. God in His infinite mercy and grace, loving us the way He loved us, sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who is called Emmanuel, God with us. Literally, God Himself became a man. And He walked those dusty trails of Galilee. He endured the mocking and the shame and the persecution that came. They rejected Him, and yet He still went forward with His plan and His purpose. He ultimately laid down his life being perfect and sinless, paying the penalty of death, or of sin, which is death. For the wages of sin is death. And there he took his place on Calvary. He literally laid down his life for you. He took your place. He took my place on that cross. A perfect Savior made a perfect sacrifice so that I can enjoy a perfect salvation. That's something to be thankful for. And that's something you can be thankful for if you will just call on Him. Matter of fact, the Bible says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. God may love me, but he couldn't love me that much because after what I've done to him and the things I've said and done, nobody could accept me. He could never save me. Oh, you're exactly the person he wants to save. 
Will you call on him today? Will you trust him? Will you accept him into your life? Acknowledge his sacrifice on Calvary. He's not there, you'll notice. He died, yes. He was buried, but he rose again. He's seated at the right hand. Let me tell you what, he's there making intercession on our behalf that know him, and he's there to say, wait a second, I don't care how filthy and sinful she or he is. See that blood over there? Good to go. They simply need to call, accept, and receive. You know what? If you'll do that today, he'll forgive you, save you, and come into your life. And again, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You don't ever have to worry about being rejected by the Lord. He'll receive you and accept you just the way you are, a sinner. And he'll wash your sin away. He'll remove your guilt. And he'll deal with your shame. He bore it for you on Calvary. There he hung in shame between heaven and earth so that you don't have to live that way. You can be free indeed. Believer, what about you? It's your turn to be thankful. Your turn to be thankful that he's still working in your life. Your turn to be thankful that he's still concerned about you. Your turn to be thankful that he's still listening. You say, but I, I mess up a lot. Join the human race. But he gives us 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Confess to him. Just go to him. Admit that you're failing. Admit that you're weak. Admit that you can't do it in your own strength and say, Lord, I can't do this without your help. I've got to have you. I need you today. And I'm so thankful that you haven't given up on me, that you've only begun the work. Oh, there's a lot of work to be done, Lord. But thank you that you still care. And thank you that you're still listening. Come on up to an altar maybe today or even at a seat and say, Lord Jesus, I just want to give back what I've taken back. I've taken my life and I've lived it the way I want. I've chosen to go my own direction in so many areas of my life and I'm just going to give, yield it back to you. I'm just going to surrender it again. Here it is. I'm all yours. Father, we come to you, we thank you again for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to, yes, be a part of your family, but we are so grateful that you're not done with us yet. Lord, there may be those that are here that have yet to receive and accept your son, Jesus Christ, that have yet to receive and accept the finished work of Calvary as payment for their sin, and they simply need to call on you. They need to ask you to forgive and save them and come into their life and to just trust what Jesus did for them on the cross alone, nothing else. There's not one thing they can do to earn your favor. They must simply trust your son, Jesus Christ. And I just pray, Lord, you'd help them today to do that. And for the believer today, may we just come back to you today. If we've wandered far away from you, may we come home today. May we just lay it on the altar and say, here I am. You may want this and you may want that, Lord, but I'm going to start by just giving you me. And if I, you give and Lord, if, if, if we give us, give you ourselves, the rest of it will fall into place. Bless us now and help us these next few moments. We'll thank you for what you will accomplish in our hearts and lives as we yield to you, mold us and make us, Lord. We desperately need you today in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.